Well, her brother hit the BMX track, so little sister thought she'd have a go too. But neither of them probably thought that a rip around the block on a BMX bike would lead to an Olympic medal. Sarah Walker, lovely to see you. Did you think all those years ago, freewheeling in Kōrō with your brother would lead to a career? Absolutely not. BMX wasn't even an Olympic sport, and so... We were just two kids riding around the block on our BMX bikes. Because <laughs> I think BMX bikes, skateboards, roller skates, it's the epitome of the 80s. Not really a career choice. No, exactly. But my my dad is a PE teacher and like as an eight-year-old, I was just determined to go to the Olympics one day and I would figure out how. But obviously BMX wasn't and it was my favourite sport, but I tried all the other ones. But I just kept coming back to it um, and I was very, very lucky when it was announced that it was going to be. Wow, so Olympics was always the dream. Did your brother Absolutely. try and claim some of, <laughs> some of the credit for that? Nah, oh, my brother's real relaxed. <laughs> he's uh, very chill and he's uh, just goes with the flow. So his uh, Olympic dream was kind of just like, oh yeah, whatever, if it happens, cool. <laughs> it's funny that you say that um, BMX was quite new back then. We've seen so many other sports come into the fold, haven't we? Yeah, surfing and golf. Do you think that there's still longevity in the BMX or it's going to morph into something else? Great question. I'm not exactly sure. It's been really interesting because we have conversations about um, and referring to BMX as a traditional sport now. <laughs> Crazy, right? Crazy. It's not that long ago. No, it's not. And um, it just feels bizarre because I was part of the first Olympics for BMX in 2008. And I know that's like 12 years ago now, <laughs> but it, it is, it's becoming quite established, which is pretty cool. Yeah, oh, it'll be exciting to see what the next one is. I mean, you know, it could, there's been talk of 10-pin bowling, ballroom dancing, who knows what the next thing will be. But um, I think BMX has, has still got some life in it yet. I think so too. Yeah. All right, let's talk about you. It's been a really busy 12 months on a personal front. A few I do's in there as well. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. You know what comes next. The I do's turn into the... You do not. <laughs> you know that, right? Uh, we'll see. Hopefully, I'm fairly stubborn, so maybe it's me saying that. I don't know. We'll see. So, how is married life going for you? Juggling, um, you know, your career and, and a change in your lifestyle. Did Did he sign up to lots of trips to A and E? Um, yeah. So, like for the our, injuries. I think our third date, actually, you wouldn't call it a date. I was in hospital needing surgery, <laughs> so he learned that very were. quickly. <laughs> I'm like, this is kind of like, we're at this end. And then I think like two weeks earlier was like Halberg Awards. So like he kind of got a picture of like the top and the, yeah. <laughs> what life was going to be like. Yeah. It's kind of, this is my best and this is my worst. He's not a physio or a doctor, is he? Because <laughs> that would come in handy. It would be helpful. It would be helpful. But no, um, it, I guess, I don't know if it's weird to say that like just life has continued as it was before getting married. It's Nothing's changed. It's nice. I love it. <laughs> So you're married, you've got a few Olympics under your belt, you're in your 30s now and I think if you were a gymnast it would be, you'd be a geriatric. Yeah. Obviously you feel like there's more in the tank. Yeah. And, and I think in BMX, like I'm the oldest female still riding BMX as well at the top level. So yeah, I, I've always thought that I won't know if I'm good at something unless I try it. And it's the same with BMX at this end of my career. I don't know if I can get better unless I try. And I still think I can get better and faster. And I still love it and enjoy it. So why should I stop? So is that the drive? The fear, well not the fear of the unknown, but the the nosiness. How far can I go? Has, yeah. has the body still got it? Curiosity, I think, is a good way to put it. <laughs> like I'm still curious about whether there's something more there or not. And the only way to figure that out is by trying. 
and pushing myself to try and get faster. And maybe I don't, but maybe I do. So you must have the belief there though, Sarah, because yes. you wouldn't commit all those hours, all those gym <laughs> sessions, all those low-fat meals if you didn't think it could be a successful campaign. Exactly. Yeah, there's there's definitely hope there. And I think a, a race that, that reminds me of was in 2018. At the end of the season, uh, I made it to the podium at the World Cup. And it was the first time on the podium at a World Cup since 2011. So 2018, <laughs> it's like seven years. And I remember crossing the finish line and just being like, okay, this is why I continued to believe in myself. Like, you're not going to win all the time. You're not going to be on the podium all the time, but keep believing that you can be. And that perseverance, like, was worth, worth it because I just kept believing in myself when other people stopped. It was cool. <laughs> so, so how's the body holding up? Because it is such a physically demanding sport. We know you've broken so many bones in your body. Yeah. I mean, is it getting harder? I think, like, I've, it's been a, f a few seasons since I've been, like, broken. <laughs> <laughs> broken physically or...? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I don't know, like, the hardest part of an injury is the working back to where you were to, like, then get better from. So it's like quite a big step back and that's the hardest part. It's not the pain of the injury. It's not like kind of the first 24 hours of like getting x-rays and casts or whatever you need. <laughs> it's actually like the next six weeks of recovery while the bone mends and then it's the next kind of months and months of like trying to get fast again to where you were right the second before you crashed. Just to get back to the same point, it takes months. And then I've had a couple times where I've gone through that process and just as I get to back to that speed, I get injured again. And then I have to start that whole process again. And that's coming back that second time and it's like you, you kind of have that expectation or superstition, like things come in threes. And so like you get almost as fast as you, you've been again and that's when I'm the most afraid because I don't want to have to deal with the months of recovery and rehab again for a third time in a row. And you've had so many challenges with yeah. your injuries and ultimately that cost you Rio. Yeah. And did that keep you, does it still keep you awake at night? No, not at all. <laughs> and even at the time. So I got injured in February, February, March of 2016. Right before I got injured, I was the fastest I had ever been by like a significant amount every single week at that point, because uh, I was leading into the um, World Cup season, I was PBing like best ever on pretty much every test I track. Mm. And then I broke my arm in two places and needed surgery and it was massive setback. And then 10 weeks later was World Champs. And at World Champs was the last chance to qualify for Rio. And I gave it everything, turned up, and my arm still wasn't like 100%. <laughs> um, but I was like, well, this is the only, it's all or nothing. This is the only chance. It's not like I can go, hey, can you give me another two weeks? <laughs> it's just, this is the moment you have to be ready. And I gave it everything, and I crashed again. And um, actually broke my other shoulder. <laughs> but I didn't know at the time, and I was like, strap it up, we're still going. Like, I still want to give it everything. You're going to find a way. Yeah, I was like, it's not over until it's over. And... I went up onto the start hill and I raced every single race the best that I could, which at that point wasn't great, <laughs> but it was the best I could in the situation I was in and I didn't qualify. But within hours, like obviously the first few hours was devastating and I cried more times than I could count because um, I'd think about 
the people that have helped me and supported me. I thought about my sponsors, I thought about my family, I thought about like all those people and supporters that had helped me and wanted to see me go to the Olympics and me wanting to be there too. And it was just devastating. But then within a few hours, I was reflecting on like, actually there was nothing else I could have done. So I actually felt really proud that I'd given it everything that I had in the situation I was in. So I couldn't help that the broken arm, it happened, I dealt with it the best that I could. And then I broke my shoulder, dealt with that the best I could, still turned up on the start line and still did the best that I could. There's nothing at all I could do better than that. So it's, it's completely okay with me and I'm actually really proud of myself for doing that. You talk about being broken, but you have to be so mentally robust to, to, to push through those times. Yeah. And, and bounce back. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a, a good level of being stubborn um, and just being super determined to like, this is what I want to do and I'm going to give it everything to do it. Um, so there's an element of that. And I think an element of just not finishing with any what ifs. So I had no what ifs because there was nothing else I could have done differently. So that sat really comfortably with me. So it doesn't, from that night, it didn't bother me. <laughs> was there, was there, I mean, this is, you're so mentally tough to, to do that. I mean, you, you've said that you enlisted um, help with psychologists, mm -hmm. trying to get you in that right mind space. But how hard was it pushing it so hard when it's a sport where you have to be on the edge? I've read that, that, that you were scared that you wouldn't be able to put it all out there again. Yes. So there has been races where I see someone get hurt and I'm up on the start line and I'm looking down and there's someone literally lying there in a stretcher's with all the medics are like coming in to stretcher them off the track because they can't walk themselves off. And you're up on the start hill about to go ride the exact same track, <laughs> do the exact same jumps that that person's just like being stretched off for. And you just, there are times where you go like, why do I do this? <laughs> like, I don't really want that to be me. That's your husband's job now to worry about you, you see. Are you still insured? Are you still got the yeah. insurance company on board? I'm not sure many insurance places <laughs> want us to insure me, to be honest. Their dream is over. Totally. How much tougher for you a year on? And, and having to be in that tough mind space to know that it's going to be 12 months harder. Yeah, I, I didn't think necessarily about my age or about the year being longer. I didn't know what my plan was after Tokyo and that's probably been the hardest part to adjust because I had such a strong plan through to kind of the 31st of July, we would be racing the BMX final and then the 1st of August, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What do I feel like? Do I feel like keeping, uh, carrying on writing? We'll make that decision then. But every single date through the 31st of July, 2020 was planned. And then when it was postponed, it was like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I was meant to be here on this date. I was meant to be doing this on this date. I was meant to be whatever. And right up until the 31st of July this year, after it was postponed, felt so weird because I was not where I was planned to be leading in. And on the 31st of July, it was like such a weird feeling. Actually, the, the night before, I remember the night before, like I kind of got a little bit emotional because it was the night before what would be our Olympic final. And I remember very vividly what it felt like 
the night before my race in London. Um, and all the, all the emotions that came through me that night before, it was like nerves, a bit of fear, like the unknown, the uncertainty, but like excited and like being like, yeah, I've worked for this. And just all those different positive and negative emotions coming through and all the thoughts and what, like picturing what could happen the next day. And that was like not happening. But what was good about Rio 2016 was I got to watch a race happen and I got to get closure from not being there. Where the 31st roll around this year and there was nothing. <laughs> like the birthday party had been cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. out. And, and so you didn't really get closure. You're just like, okay, the date's been. Yeah. Okay, now I make a plan. And after that day was kind of like, it felt like I kick-started a second time but it was really hard leading up into that date um, just because everything was so set in stone as much as it could be. <laughs> Have you ever entertained the thought that you wouldn't be there? Um, I did, uh, probably the first two weeks of lockdown. Um, so lockdown and the postponement pretty much happened at the same time. And so I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to take two weeks to just take time. Like if the Olympics are 16 months away, Taking two weeks off now is not going to be a big deal if I decide to keep going for it. So you took two weeks off, a full two weeks, <laughs> eating lockdown loaf and Netflix for two full weeks, like most of us do the whole year. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it was great. Like, I needed to reset. I, like, I knew that if I was going to commit, I couldn't maintain the level that I was at for 16 months. I needed to reset and think about what was going to motivate me for another year um, and figure that out. And so it was a lot of uh, self-reflection and trying to think and feel how I felt about everything. And um, yeah, I decided that, why not? <laughs> why not? So many reasons. So you're training, what, what does a day look like for you? 32, um, BMX bike, what's, what's your week? What's your day? I think, well, using my experience, I've done, I know what works for me physically um, and mentally, but uh, I do gym three times a week. I go to the BMX track three times a week. Um, and then I do like a road ride if I feel like it. I can do sprints. Um, but it's just making sure that I'm tracking and recovering the best that I can um, and feeling happy. I think that's really important, um, especially this year. And not only do you train for an Olympic Games, uh, you have a unique insight into the Olympics on the IOC Athletes Committee, NZOC board member, not at all busy, are you? <laughs> no, um, it gets overwhelming sometimes, but it's very cool to be part of. And right through lockdown and um, obviously there was a lot of unknown and uncertainty about Tokyo. And even before before they announced their postponement, um, being part of those discussions, um, it was really challenging, I think, for the IOC to make that call um, in terms of... Uh, the logistics and the complexities of postponing. <laughs> but also there was already guidelines in place for hosting a mass gathering during a pandemic. Those already existed. So they were looking at whether it was possible to do that this year. Um, but obviously it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they needed another year. But being part of the conversations and hearing um, like the IOC president talk about Tokyo and the way he talked about it gave me a lot of confidence and that was something I thought was 
great to be able to share back home to New Zealanders and to the athletes in Cambridge and people that I could speak with and be like, no, like I'm really confident that they will do whatever it takes to make sure it's on next year. Is it unusual being privy to those conversations and being part of that dialogue, being an athlete and also on all these committees? Can you kind of give us a snapshot of, of what your role is on those committees? Um, I, a snapshot's pretty hard. Well, I can imagine because it's quite the list here. It's quite the CV. Yeah, so um, the Athletes Commission at the IOC pretty much covers every part of the Olympic Games that you could think of. Um, in front of the scenes and behind the scenes. So I'm part of like Sustainability and Legacy Commission, the Digital and Technology Commission. Um, I'm part of the Future Hosts Commission, which works on like where the Olympic Games will go to in the future. Um, and then all the other athletes are across different commissions as well. And then we all come together and then we kind of give our feedback and what we've heard, what athletes need to give input on. Um, but the insight is just on another level. It probably took me two years at least to figure out <laughs> and really understand what? like the process yeah. of everything. Yeah, it's really overwhelming. And do you think that it's your contribution is, is accepted and you're getting traction or is it like a PTA meeting where you no. get more done by sitting down, drinking wine, thinking, like, like, roll with it? Yeah, I think part, part of me was nervous that it would be like that before I went in. Yeah. Um, because there are public perceptions of the IOC and what they do and and so I was aware of those but I went in open-minded and said I'll see what it's like once I'm there <laughs> and it was really I don't know if reassuring is the right word but I was really like happy to see so many like passionate caring um, enthusiastic people behind the scenes that really genuinely love the Olympic Games and want the athletes to be heard. So those organisations get your expertise and your yes. experience. What What's the contribution that you get? What do you get from serving on those? Um, I think it's just experience and understanding. I get um, insight into how it all works and the gears that tick it over. And um, I find it fascinating, like as, as a kid, eight-year-old me watching the Olympic Games and being inspired to be an Olympian, that's a long time of my life to like really admire the Olympics and, and be kind of amazed by it. And it's not just about watching, say, Daniel Loder win his gold medal. It's about like those moments of humanity that are like just super inspiring, like just the whole world coming together and sharing inspiring moments that just show I guess what the world is capable of in terms of peace and respect and friendship and all those kind of really cool fuzzy feeling ones and I know <laughs> no it's so true because I see those ads on TV with the, the music and the slow-mos of the athletes you don't even have to be a sports fan to be moved by that totally it really is uniting isn't it yeah like it just comes back to values so and it's sport is the way to display those values and I think that's so cool and then to understand a bit more about how the Olympics comes together to be able to give that platform for that to happen not just like the amazing performances of the athletes but the amazing moments of the games as well. And hasn't COVID taught us that? Yes. How much sport means to us, how much totally. we miss it and how uniting it is and how bonding it was when it came back yeah it was it's just quite a unique gift yeah and I think almost it was a, a blessing in disguise to have that realization you don't know what you have until it's gone type thing so 
um, to have a moment where sport didn't exist for a while, it's like actually, yeah, this is something I really enjoy in watching or doing or whatever it is. Now you're talking about um, watching the Olympics when you're eight and having goals and aspirations. Um, a lot of eight-year-olds play Fortnite and gaming. You're a bit of a gamer, I hear. <laughs> yeah. And you're not eight years old anymore. No, but I grew up. I grew up gaming. I think my first lot of BMX prize money that I I won. Well, I actually, I had to save up over a few races, but I put my first lot of prize money. I bought a PlayStation One. I thought you were going to say Pac-Man, but that's from my <laughs> generation. So PlayStation One. Yeah. Yeah, teenagers wouldn't know what that is now, would they? No. Well, a PS1 then, they know what a <laughs> PS5 is, so they can kind of do the math. It's quite a lot older than a PS5. <laughs> so that was your thing, sitting there, a bit of gaming. Yeah, and then um, I had a really big accident in 2014, broke both my arms um, and had a head injury, and actually doing um, some gaming as I like recovered more with my brain <laughs> but also with my hands like being able to do like the finer movements yeah. with the controller and stuff so I played a lot with actually. both arms in a cast yeah how with, did that work for you with recovery <laughs> yeah yeah it was <laughs> it was actually really helpful but I find it a really good way to kind of escape and switch off from sport all the time yeah um so it's my recovery tool and you, you were doing it before, on the morning of your wedding gaming is that right uh, I read somewhere you sat down and played a little bit of Fortnite and yeah. Just zoned out. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's in store for, for Sarah Walker post games? Have you looked down the lens of, of that vision yet? Yeah, I, I reflected a lot during lockdown about, okay, well, if I wasn't doing BMX, what would I do? And I have thought about it through my whole career because BMX is a risky sport. And at any point in the 14 or so years, longer, 15 years that I've done BMX at the top level, it could have been over in one year or two years. Like at any point in my career, that could have been the end because of the nature of our sport. So I've always considered what else I could do. <laughs> um, but Did your parents ever try to get you to do something else? Were they worried? I mean, yeah, you say it's a high risk sport. I don't think so. So like my mum uh, has a story where she could have gone to the Commonwealth Games for swimming. Uh, but she didn't because she felt like her friend who missed out trained harder than she did, and so she gave her spot to her friend. <laughs> no. Yeah, so she was doing the right thing, she thought at the time, and then she ended up being like, oh, man, I shouldn't have done that. So in terms of us following sporting dreams and making the most of it while we're young, I still think I'm young. <laughs> you are. Um, is like really something we've had ingrained into us and that it's really important and especially with dad being PE teacher it's like sports like not just something that you can teach it's something that you can live and breathe and it's in your blood it's in your DNA isn't it totally and I suspect it always will be yeah probably and like I could definitely see myself in the sporting industry at beyond being an athlete I don't know exactly what that looks like but I, I love sport and I love what it can bring to society and and yeah whether it's that and then just to go completely opposite end of the scale I also really enjoyed designing houses <laughs> shock me really yeah designing houses yeah yeah so designing the floor plan and then watching it all come together um, from the ground up and the whole process of building a house and and living in the house you designed and and learning from that, I love that as well. You've dabbled in that a little bit? Yeah. 
Yeah, so that is like kind of my side hobby. <laughs> oh, just because you've got time. <laughs> well, it was that, I was lucky because it was when um, the, the deposit was like 5%. <laughs> so um, I made the most of that. And yeah, I just realised when I built how much enjoyment I got from that. So that would be like the complete opposite direction, but still something that I know I have a passion for. So it's kind of exciting for me to know that whatever I do beyond BMX, I'll be excited about maybe not to the exact level of like BMX racing <laughs> and being an athlete, but still like excited. Now, before we go, quick fire seven. I love this bit. Just a few questions yep. just to kind of rattle off and, and maybe peel back a few more layers because we don't know how long we've got you for because you're, you're a busy lady and all. So can I hit you with seven quick fire questions? Sure can. All right. So the first one is pretty standard. Uh, Olympic rings. Tattoo, yay or nay? Yay. I have one on my <laughs> Yeah, it's I have on my shoulder. Dare I ask where? Oh, shoulder. Yeah. And that was after? Uh, Beijing. Beijing. Yeah, because I was eight years old, dreamt of going to Olympics, and I achieved that goal. Thought I would never get a tattoo, but I was like, actually, that one is worth me getting, I Committed. thought. Committed. Yeah. Parents would approve. Tattoo with meaning. Yeah. All right, question two, beef or lamb? Uh, lamb. <laughs> Best accessory you've ever had on your bike? Ooh, spokey-dokies are like a go-to, but I, I ended up getting too fast for them to make their noise. <laughs> so did you give a little trick? Um, well, actually, the other thing we did back when I lived in Koldo was we cut out like a milk bottle and then you tape it to like the side of your um, bike and put it like right between the spokes. And then as you pedal and your bike gets faster, the milk bottle um, oh, goes against the spokes, and it sounds like a motorbike. You bogan. Not really like you a motorbike, bogan. but... <laughs> you have some floppy dice on the front as well? We had a good imagination. <laughs> what should you never put on a bike? Oh, good question. Nothing. Anything on a bike's probably fine. Trick it out, do what you like? Yeah. Alright, free if, wheel If it. you love it. Nice. Just, if it's going to make you ride it, go for it. <laughs> maybe maybe like um, thumbtacks, because otherwise okay. you might get a... Like flat tyre. I tell you what would make me ride a bike. Someone else pedalling it. That's what that would make me ride a bike. Um, your proudest achievement? Um, probably the Olympic track um, in Tokyo. We were there last year. And the second jump there is massive. Like massive. And we were there for five days and I didn't, couldn't jump it. Um, and I was in tears because I like knew I wanted to jump it and I knew we were coming back to race the Olympic track. And... I, everyone else had left. I was the last one there. I know this is not a quick answer. <laughs> That's right, I'm gripped. <laughs> no one else was there. All the riders had finished. It was the last day. All the volunteers are like standing around being like, hurry up. <laughs> and I went to go do it and I chickened out again and then came back up and I'm like, I can do it. And I went and I just fully committed and I jumped it and landed it perfectly. And just the amount of relief and pride that I had from being so afraid that I was in tears to being like, no, I can do this with no one around, no one being like, come on, Sarah, you can do it. It's just all came from me to be able to like overcome that fear. That was like the proudest moment you did it. So you got on that plane knowing you ticked that box. Absolutely. Insane. Yeah. If you could win gold in any other Olympic event, what would it be? Easy. Ski across, because that's BMX on skis. BMX on skis, yep. that, that sounds like hard work. Uh, finally, what's something that may surprise us about you? Um, I played the piano for seven years. Let's see your piano fingers. 
Good Long Fingers, rock piano, still playing? Yep. No, uh, but I did try saxophone for a bit, but cut that out pretty quickly because it was at the same time I had braces, so <laughs> didn't really work. <laughs> braces and a saxophone. No idea. Your lips hated you and so did the neighbours. Yep. Sarah Walker, it's been a pleasure. Good luck with Taikyo. Thank you.